In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus traveled around Galilee, teaching and healing. Crowds gathered and followed him. Jesus went up on a mountain and taught the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, he starts with eight statements that all begin with the word blessed. Join us as we journey through these eight descriptions that show where true joy and abundant life can be found. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Do me a favor, help me welcome all of our first-time guests. We're so glad to have you guys worshiping with us, both right here in the room as well as those of you online. Uh, hey, so we're in a series we began two weeks ago. That means today is part three. If you have missed any of it, I want to encourage you, you can go back and catch that on our app or online. And uh, this series is about the Beatitudes. And these are the first eight statements, the first eight sentences that Jesus gave of his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if that's a new idea for you, if you're not familiar with it, I'd really encourage you during this series to go and read it on your own. It's simply three chapters. That's a pretty good sermon, too, if you think about that. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in our Bible. And so these are the first eight statements that he made about people who are blessed. And uh, that means that people who live according to kingdom virtues, they're going to be blessed in a way that's defined in a way very different from what our world would say. And so that's what we're looking at throughout the series. And last week, we had Pastor Eric here sharing with us the second one, blessed are those who mourn. And uh, as he was doing that, he mentioned to you how he had been to the very spot in Israel where Jesus had given this sermon and how he got to sit on that spot. And uh, I just want to point out, I've been there too. So, and I've been there twice, which makes me twice as cool, just, just for the record. No, actually, I, that's not the reason I said that. Let me tell you why I said that. I never pass up a chance to promote you taking a trip to Israel. I always like to encourage this because what Eric's point was last week and what mine is right now is as we prepare these messages, as we simply read our Bibles, it's different. Been there, stood in that spot. You can imagine what it is like. And it's just so incredibly life-given to your faith. You will never read the Bible the same when you have been to the place where Jesus did that or said that or that disciple did this. I mean, it will change your life. So I just wanna encourage you. Like, we save for Disney, save for Israel, because I promise a trip to Israel is gonna grow your faith way more than Mickey. I mean, Mickey's cool and all, and I love some of his cartoons and everything, but it's just not going to have the same effect. We save for bigger TVs and, and cruises and everything else. So save and plan to uh, do a once-in-a-lifetime or more trip to Israel. It'll change your life, I promise. And uh, we were supposed to literally be on it, like right now, I believe, or in a, in a week or two, but COVID kind of messed that up, which could be good for some of you because now it gives you time to save and be a part of that trip that I think is, uh, well, you know, COVID. We're still kind of shooting uh, somewhere between 18 and 24 months out. So there you go. Well, how many of you love a good story of somebody standing up for themselves and getting the other person put where they belong and just seeing kind of one of those, you know, yay, underdog wins kind of things? So I'm going to tell you a little one of, of my stories. And uh, so this is, this is a true story. Um, as you know, many of you already, I was a band director for a long time. And what that means is I was actually in the college band and I was in the high school band. And if you add up all of those years, you're going to come up with over two decades of me being in the band at football games. That, that, here, here's the thing. In over two decades, I only was involved in two playoff games. Come on, I got some football people in the room. Over 20 years, I only ever went to two, football ga two, two playoff games, and they were not in the same season because we never won a playoff game. 
And, and it doesn't, here's the point. I have, for some reason, just the gift of God, been associated with really good bands and really bad football teams. And uh, in case you're, you're feeling sorry for me, don't. Because that's really good with us. Just for the record, I know some of you are football people, and there might be some Clemson and Gamecock fans here today. Sorry for your day yesterday. But anyway, here's the point. For musicians and band directors, that's great. We're really happy. Like a perfect season for us is when the football team goes five and five. Just good enough to have a little school pride and just bad enough not to make a playoff game. And and it's great because, see, when November comes around, in our opinion, football really should be over. Now, if you're a fan, that's fine. Let it keep going. Let the NFL keep going. But for us, we've got Christmas parades. We've got Christmas concerts. And and those uniforms, we've been wearing them since August. They are starting to stand up on their own in the band room. And and it gets cold, and we're wearing like four layers of clothes underneath. So, you know, we're kind of marching like the kid from a Christmas story kind of thing. And mouthpieces freezing to our face in December. We don't like football teams that keep winning. And so the good news is I've always been associated with losing football teams. My high school team, normally our record was like one and nine. Two and eight was a good year. We had an 0 and 10 year. I mean, that that was just the truth. And so here's the thing. This went on until the point where I was a band director. And so as I'm a band director one time, I'm standing there and the other band director and I are, are looking around the stands and we start noticing as we look, we know almost everybody here by name. That's the Booster Club Those are all the band parents, and those are all band students from previous years, and is anybody here for the football team? Like, anybody? Like, I mean, there there had to be somebody there, you know. I know somewhere the quarterback's mom was in the stands thinking she was going to come to the one and only game where her son threw something somebody was actually going to catch. She's interceding for him and praying and hoping that's going to happen. I know they were there, but we looked around the stands and noticed like 80% of the people in the stands were banned. Now, I didn't get a lot of laughs, which means there's a lot of football people in the room, and I'm sorry to offend you, but this is a true story. And so, if you don't know this detail, when you go to a football game and you pay for a ticket, the band gets none of that money. We have to pay for those goofy-looking uniforms that we only wear at those games, and we have to pay for whatever else we do, the music we play, but we get none of the money for it. All of that money goes to the athletic department. And furthermore... We are required to go to an away game, once again, to make you feel good about your game that you're going to be 0-10 with, but whatever, sorry about that. We're required to go to the away game, and we have to pay to ride buses from the athletic department. We have to pay the athletic department to ride their buses to go to their, are y'all following how offensive this is? And so that, like, this is like an ongoing struggle at every high school in the world, just, just so you know. And so as we're standing there looking around at all of these band people, made a little remark, and the Booster Club ran with it. And the next thing you know, on a Friday night, the Booster Club had organized a band boycott of the football game. The stands were empty, except again for the quarterback's mom. Uh, There was nobody there. There was no money. The athletic department made almost no money. And let me just tell you, the athletic director was in our office being so much friendlier on Monday morning than he had ever been before. And the reason we love that story is because somebody, except for the football players in the room, sorry, but everybody else loves that story because you see somebody fighting for their rights and putting the other person in their place. And you might say, why in the world did you tell us that story? Because it's the exact opposite of what Jesus talked about in the third beatitude, which is the one we're looking at today. It's in Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 5. And uh, this is simply, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are the meek. And that word right there is where our problem begins. If you were to go out and invite one of your friends to church and say, I'd love to invite you to church. We're talking about how to be meek this week. Most of your friends are going to say, I want nothing to do with that. Because if we were to go and pull up an English dictionary and look up the word meek, we're going to see words like shy and timid and docile and unambitious. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like the scrawny little kid that gets beat up before school every day and has his lunch money taken from him, right? I mean, you guys with me? Who wants to be that? Nobody. As a matter of fact, this is one of the image problems the church has today at trying to reach people in the world because they think they've got to become the scrawny kid that gets beat up. If you're a Christian, you've got to let everybody take advantage of you. Everybody gets to beat you up. Everybody gets to walk all over you. And if we even go back a few hundred years and we look at the, the images of Jesus that were painted by some of the greatest artists of our time, their time, we're not that old, and uh, you look at them, they're so wrong. I mean, first of all, they always paint Jesus as a pale white man and he was anything but that. That couldn't have been more further from the truth. But on top of that, they always paint him as like he's sick and weakly and anemic and the kid that could lose his lunch money like oh everybody he's got like a you know, I mean it, it's just ridiculous so we have this idea in humanity or in America today uh, that the word meek goes with weak and not just because it rhymes but we we think that that's the idea of what Jesus would want from us but we need to back up and understand a few things first of all I quoted from an English dictionary and Jesus didn't use one of those Second of all, that is explaining what the word has come to mean over the past centuries or even millennia, but it doesn't have anything to do with what the Greek word was that was being used right here when Jesus was talking and what was the meaning for this word. So I think if we're going to try to put blessed are the meek into our lives, if we want to become one of those people, we need to get back to the original meaning and we have got to get away. Matter of fact, let's just trash everything that we think we know about what it means to be meek. You guys good with me? All right, so here we go. We're going to go back to the original word Jesus was using. And, and uh, does it, uh, you know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time actually telling you what they, it doesn't really matter if you know Greek words or not. I'm going to tell you what it meant at the time. Begins with this. Meek means humility. At its very core, it means humility. It means the humility to put others first the humility that does not assert ourselves and rather promotes others. Now that does sound like a godly thing, but that's not something that we see in our culture a lot today. Humility, I'm sorry, meek also means a word that, well, it's not a good word for our culture, but submission. Submission to a greater way a greater cause and a greater being. Now, in our context, if we're going to be meek, we understand that our submission is to God himself and his ways, right? I mean, we, we get that. But it can be used in another context. Matter of fact, there is an old saying in the horse world that says the meekest horse wins the race. Now, first of all, I want you to, as we're trying to dispel the myth that meek means weak, I want you to go ahead and just think of a horse in general. Anybody want to be voluntarily kicked in the head by a horse? Because they're so weak, right? No, 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 because you know they're strong, and you know that could be the last thing that ever happens to you upon the earth. I mean, many people have been killed by being kicked by a horse because they are strong. And as you think about any horse that would be competing in a race, strong. I mean, you can see the muscles and the legs. They're slender. I mean, they're just amazing-looking animals. 
But it's the meekest horse out of all of them, not the weakest, the meekest that wins the race. And the reason for that is because it means it is the most submitted to a greater being in his way or her way. So if you can imagine the rider on the horse, a horse that is not meek may decide to slow down just a little at that moment because they just didn't feel like giving it their all. A horse that is not meek may decide to go just a little to the right even though we're going to the left and the finish line is that way. The meekest horse, on the other hand, when the rider says, go as fast as you can, that horse goes as fast as it can until it is given a different command. It won't slow down even if it wants to. It won't take an extra step this way because the rider is telling it to lean this way. The meekest horse, the most submitted to the one who sees how the race should go is the one that will win the race. I hope that that starts to give us an image of what God wants from us, not weakness, not timid, not shy, not unambitious, but the most submitted. There's one more thing or two that meek means in the original language that Jesus was using at the time. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you're not going to like this one. Can you prepare yourself for it? And I started off the whole series by telling you that these virtues, many you're not going to like in general. Because the eight virtues that we know as the Beatitudes that Jesus said, this is what a blessed life is in the kingdom of God, almost exclusively are, are not what humanity would praise. We've been talking about it all throughout the series, right? So don't be surprised that the one I'm about to say, um, some people online potentially have the right to push a button and turn me off because you're not going to like this. Those of you that are in the room, you're trapped by Southern politeness. <laughs> a meek person doesn't aggressively fight for their own rights at the expense of others. Instead, in the humility and submission, they choose to allow God to protect and defend themselves as we put God and others first. Wait a minute. We've got sayings in the world, that, or at least in our culture, that, that tell us that's the exact opposite. Like, you've got you to stand up for yourself. You've got to fight for your rights. You've got to do your own thing. If you don't put yourself first, nobody else will. You, you've got to fight for you, or somebody's going to walk all over you. We've all heard those sayings. We all believe those sayings. Several of us have lived those sayings. But what Jesus was saying at the time was that if you're meek, you are not going to aggressively, it's a key word, fight for your rights at the expense of others. It's not saying that you wouldn't raise an issue of injustice. It's not saying that you wouldn't have a conversation. It's not even saying that you wouldn't help serve a cause to bring about change. None of that. But it's saying you wouldn't aggressively do it in a way that hurts others. And the, the greatest example that, that everyone would know of, that I can think of in recent history of someone who would be meek by these terms, would be Martin Luther King Jr. Because he fought for a cause that needed to be fought for. There was injustice in the world, but he never, ever promoted anyone else's harm in doing so. He never fought at the expense of even the people who were doing it to him. He never said... And from everything that I read and understand about him, what he did was for every other black American, not even for himself. And ultimately ended up losing his life for that cause. And, and now, if you really want to know anything about stop and, and do some research, he was not a weak man. He was a passionate man. He was a determined man. And he was a strong man. Meek is not weak. But meek is submitted to God in his belief that he can defend us. And that we, even though we can speak up, we don't have to hurt anyone else to put ourselves in a better place. 
which is the next thing that Meek says. It's not something that we'd ever do to advance our own interest, but we will advance the interest of other people, even ahead of our own, if that's what it actually takes. What it means is we're gonna use any strength we have, any position we have, any influence that we have to help others, to promote others, and to constantly say, you know, let's say you've got two equals in a situation, and hey, hey, you go first. Hey, will you take that? Well, hey, if, if the job comes down to being between the two of us, I, I hope for the best for you. I hope you get that. And uh, that's just something that goes against our culture, that we would actually try to help another person get a step ahead of us if we knew that's what it was. I want you to imagine a king from long ago. Imagine if they were meek and they did this very thing. And they understood that their position, their influence, and everything that they had was to help others. You imagine this king who wakes up one morning in this grand castle and says, I'm pretty sure I've got bedrooms I'm not using. Why don't we go out and find some of the homeless in the kingdom and bring them in? Or, or why don't we take turns? Let me invite the people in and they can, they can share the castle with me. I mean, they're not being used. And, and what about all of this great food that I have? Why don't we like invite a different family or two from the kingdom to come in and share dinner with me every night, especially, can we, let's start with those who are starving. And what about all this money? What if I were to use it to maybe make their homes better or, or to buy them food or something? After all, I took the money from them in the first place. I mean, what if actually I did all of this just to help them? What if the only thing I did as a king was to make the lives of the people in my kingdom better? Well, that would be like a fairy tale, wouldn't it? Disney could make a movie off of that one. And you know what, though? As I'm saying it, you're all going, that would be awesome. Because, you see, that's a kingdom virtue. And since we're made in the image of God, there are things inside of us that are crying to get out. There are things inside of us, a desire for justice and kingdom virtues that say that's the way it ought to be. And the truth is, everything I just said about that king from 500 years ago is exactly what you imagine of every leader that you elect today. Doesn't matter what party they're in, doesn't matter what position they're in, you assume that every person should be doing what they are doing and voting the way they vote to do what is best for you because you are the people. And the truth is, if our leaders were meek, that is the way they would look at the world. That is the way they would vote. That is the way that they would make every single decision. And that is why you and I get so frustrated with the world around us because we live for kingdom and then we know the world around us is not always kingdom. I mean, that was worthy of an amen just for the record, unless you guys like all of the corruption y'all see all around you all the time. Simply put, meek is the humility to put others first and submit to God. Meek is the humility to put others first and submit to God. A strong personality can be meek. Dwayne The Rock Johnson can be meek. And a weak personality can be meek because the word has nothing to do with personality the word has to do with how we treat others and how we approach God meek is the humility to put others first and submit to God so in that light what I'd like to do is is uh look at the best example we'll ever see who do you think that is very good anytime you're in church and there's ever a question just always say Jesus you're most likely to get the answer right but if we go and we take a look at Jesus, he is obviously the best example of a meek human being we'll ever see. Matter of fact, he said that he was, and he called it of himself. Matthew 21, he says, Say to the daughter of Zion, as he is speaking about a prophecy about him, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, 
I underlined that and put in parentheses meek. That's not the way you're going to see it in your Bible. There, that's not there. What you're going to see is just the word humble. But what I want you to understand, this is the same Greek word that Jesus used when he said blessed are the meek. Matter of fact, just for the fun of it, the reason this word is so important for us to understand, it's rare. It was only used four times in the entire New Testament. Three of them by Jesus. It's a rarely used word, hard to understand. And he says, behold, your king is coming to you meek and mounted on a donkey. Think about this. God in the flesh, the king of kings, riding on a donkey. I don't know about you, but I think Jesus deserved a little bit better. I think Jesus deserved like chariots of fire being carried by angels burning anything that's in the way. You know what I mean? Like that's the way that he should have come. But even as a king, the king of kings, he rode a donkey as a sign of humility and as a sign of submission because what was happening at this very moment when he was riding on this donkey, he was entering Jerusalem for the last week of his life. He was entering Jerusalem so that he could come and serve the Father to do what he was sent to do, which was to die for you and me humble on a donkey to put every other one of God's children first and to submit to the Father's will, even though it would be the most gruesome death any man could ever suffer. That is meek. To be able to withstand what Jesus went through on the cross is not weak for one second, but it is meek. He goes on in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, and he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Learn from me. Y'all, y'all follow those three words. Learn from me. For I am gentle. Again, another way that this same Greek word can be translated, which is, again, the same word for meek. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. When he says lowly in heart, he does not say lowly in ability, lowly in self-confidence, or, or anything else. What he said, Lowly in heart means humble, not inadequate. But he's humble. And by being humble, he is gentle. And uh, by the way, you know, again, you may think, well, that sounds a little like weak. No, it does not. I want everybody to imagine the largest, strongest human you can. I don't care what comes to mind, if it's a bodybuilder, if it's a wrestler, if it's a football player, whatever comes to mind. I want you to imagine this really massive, strong human whose biceps are like the size of my body, and they have their first baby. And I want you to imagine this human being that could probably, if not careful, cause serious damage to this little child's body in his strength or her strength, chooses to pick up and be very gentle. Meek is not weak, but it is gentle towards someone who needs that type of approach. It is humble towards someone. And because Jesus did this, here's what the Bible says about him. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. What would you call that phrase, obedient, even at the point that it cost you your life, I think submitted. I think that's excellent submission. If you obeyed to the point of your own death, even death on a cross. So let's go back and read this. And being found in human form, meek, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Because Jesus was meek, 
He was exalted by the Father. And because Jesus was meek, not weak, every human on the day of judgment will bow their knee and declare he is the king of kings, worthy of much more than riding on a donkey. He was meek, but don't ever think that he was inferior or weak. Are you guys with me? Are you, are you getting what Jesus wanted from us? So look, I, I don't mean to insult you as I close today, but I'm gonna give you the two most obvious, simple, and like you already can predict what I'm about to say, the two ways that we should put into practice what Jesus is saying today. Again, they're so simple, it'll seem insulting. Please forgive me. I just wanna help everybody know practically what to do when they leave the room. And the first one is we should be meek toward people. That's where it begins. We should be meek toward people. What that means is we do not assert ourselves over other people, actually. If you think you're better than someone else at what you do, like say, oh, I don't know, maybe you think you're the best basketball player in the world, keep that to yourself. I'm glad y'all got that. Thursday service didn't make a sound. They, they didn't get that. It, it means don't assume or insist on honor. You know, the Bible actually talks to us about if you find yourself at a feast with, with great rulers and important people, don't go to the highest seat of honor at the table. Don't assume that that's yours, but actually take the, the lowest seat. And if it turns out that, humanly speaking, you deserve more honor, let someone invite you to move up the table. The truth is we really struggle here. We walk into a room especially in a professional setting. Whatever it is you do for a living, I mean, military, come on, like, we wear our status on our uniform. I mean, you know, like, salute you. No, you salute me. I mean, like, it's, it's everywhere. But we do this everywhere else. And in the corporate world, you know, you, you're talking, you're making jokes. Now the CEO is walking down the hall. Whoop! You know, everybody changes their behavior. And, and, and we walk into a room and we start to size it up. Yeah, they'll be, they'll, those people will be below me down at the end of the table. Uh, okay, yeah, you guys are pretty cool. You'll be above me. I, I think I'll be at the top third of the table. I'm going to go get a seat about two-thirds of the way up. Not very meek, just to be honest. But it is kind of how we live our lives. If we were meek, we wouldn't insist. That should have been my promotion. I deserve that office. I've worked here longer. I'm better than you. See, a meek person starts with humility at the core that simply says, I think I'm better, but chances are I've got pride. So I'm happy for you that you got that promotion. A meek person is someone who is always helping to put the other per per person first and, and, and to promote them. And they're doing everything they can to say, you go win, man, you go win. Matter of fact, just as I was looking over my notes before I came out here, two pastors right down the street both texted me and said, praying for you in your church this morning. Really? Because your time is limited on a Sunday morning especially. Your time is limited. And if you're praying, you should be praying for your own church to succeed. You mean you took time away from praying for your ability to succeed, your ability to preach your sermon right, your ability to say the right words, and, and you prayed for me? And you prayed for us? And the answer is yes. That's meek. That's meek when pastors who usually compete just like everybody else, just for the record, are saying, and not even pastors on the other side of the city, we're like, hey, it's too far for anybody to drive that would come to my church, so I'm praying for you to succeed on your side. No, no, no. People within, very, very close. Super close. I'm praying that you reach many people. I'm praying that you bring God's glory this morning.
You see, imagine if we took that. Now, you look at that, by the way, that story as I tell that, and you go, yeah, well, that's the way that should be. I mean, it's God's kingdom. It's one kingdom, and pastors should be praying for each other. Okay, great. Now, what do you think when you walk into work tomorrow? Because you have Jesus in you, and you're supposed to be Jesus to the world. So what if you walk in tomorrow, and especially anyone who actually is lower than you on the corporate totem pole, and you walk in and say, hey, how can I help you succeed today? Hey, is there anything I can pray for you? And if you don't want to use those words, I mean, that's, I'll, I'll do a sermon on evangelism and boldness another day. But just depending on your corporate environment and where you are, and you say, is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything I can do to make your day go better today? Because usually we walk in and, and everything is about, I'm here, you're there. You serve me, I've got to report to them. And well, just imagine just imagine if you took what these pastors are doing and you applied it to every person that you work with. Another way that we're going to be meek towards people. And if I haven't given you enough things that you won't like yet, is the last one. This might be the worst one. If we're going to be meek towards people, what Jesus meant was that when we suffer mistreatment, insult, and indignity, we won't fight back. Because we'll forgive, pray for them, and bless our enemies. That's hard to do, isn't it? You know how somebody puts that, that post out on Facebook and, and they give just enough clues for everybody in the world to know they're talking about you and you just, let me just, you just, no, it means you don't get to send that post. It means you let that person say what they want to say. Because you know why? Jesus, that's why. I want you to imagine Jesus as he was being arrested and, and taken to trial and ultimately crucified. As they were literally lying about him at the trial, he remained silent. He could have spoken up, could have defended himself. As he was being whipped and beaten, he could have called angels and could have changed everything. As he was being nailed to a cross, he could have struck everyone down. But see, the thing about Jesus is he was humble and submitted. And he never defended himself. Never. It was always about what the Father called him to do and how he could serve other people. Now, let me get the record straight. He fought for that. He, he had some strong words to say to people who didn't want to see him hang out with sinners to see them get saved. He had strong words for that. And how about the time he walked into the temple and he kicked over the table of the money changers? And you're saying, that doesn't seem very meek, Jimmy. Oh, yeah, it is because his response was, this is a house of prayer, not what y'all turned it into, some den of robbers. See, he was bold. He was strong. But everything he did was a fight for the righteousness of God, the Father's heart for creation, and you and me. He never fought for himself, even to the point of death. And some of you would push back and say, Jimmy, if I don't fight for myself, I may not ever get that promotion. I may find myself even to the point of death. And I worked for Jesus. 
You want your reward in this life or the next one? I can promise you, you'll get the reward coming to you. I'm gonna close with the reward in just a moment, so hang on to that idea. You know, every time that I do a message, something always happens that week that makes it more, uh, gives me something to preach about, honestly. It gives me a story to tell you. And so literally, as I was at my laptop typing these very notes, someone called and said, Jimmy, I need some advice. I'm being slandered, gossip. There's an attack against me, and I've talked to my lawyer, and I have every ingredient for a defamation lawsuit. What should I do? And my response, thinking of what I just typed, what I just said to you, was I can't tell you that there is never a time for a Christian to exercise legal means to correct a situation. I can't tell you that'll never happen. What I can tell you is it's not our first response. And most importantly, if the only thing at stake here is what this person thinks of you, no. To tear that person down just for your reputation, if nothing else is involved, then no. Probably doesn't line up with the way that Jesus allowed them to lie about him, whip him, and ultimately kill him when he had the best defense any human ever could. Second thing is we need to be meek before God. If we're going to be meek towards people, we also need to be meek before God. And I want to give you two very practical ways that that happens. The first is it means that we accept God's decisions and dealings with us without resistance. And we trust him as good and wise. I just described no human ever. (laughs) Because we don't do that. Our natural prayer. God, get me out of this. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why have I got to go through this? God, why aren't you making me happy? You're my genie in a bottle. God. But I deserve. I don't deserve to go through this. I deserve. Look, the meek will rarely cry the words I deserve. Just because we're going to say, God, whatever you have decided is best for me, however I can serve you. Jesus didn't deserve death on the cross, but yet he took it for the Father and you and me. The second is that we simply submit to God's ways over our wants, period. Like, we've got what we want, and he's got what his word says. And there are so many of us that live our lives every day saying, well, I know what the Bible says, but, man, I can't tell you. If my walls in my office could talk, they've heard that phrase more than anything. Pastor Jimmy, I I need your help. Can you help me? Okay, we talk for a minute, and then, then they say, well, I know what the Bible says, but, okay, then I can't help you. We're done. I have no solution for someone who says, I know what God wants, but I'm gonna do my own thing. Can you help me do it? No, I can't. I really can't. It's not gonna make it any better. You've already proven that. That's why you're in my office. So I'm gonna close with the promise. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And uh, in full disclosure, obviously, one of the meanings behind that, the primary meaning it is that the meek will be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. Like That's our eternal future. Blessed are the meek. We will inherit the non-corrupt earth and life with God forever. But the blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. You can also equally translate shall inherit the land. And it begins to point to the idea of God bringing his people out of the slavery that they were in in Egypt and bringing them into the promised land that he had prepared for them. 
And so as you and I, as we come to know Jesus and we are brought out of the slavery of the kingdom of darkness, there is the same kind of meaning of the abundant life Jesus promised that there is an inheritance here and now as we live in the land. And the idea of living in the land when, when, when God said, I've got a land for you, he didn't just say, I've got a piece of dirt and it'll be okay. He said, I've got a land flowing with milk and honey. It's over there by the sea, got some mountains. It's gorgeous. It's great. And it's filled with blessings and provision. I mean, it's just going to be so amazing. And so the idea is, as we live our lives here and now before heaven, this side of heaven, as we put others first and as we submit to God in his ways, we're going to experience better things in the land. We're going to get to live in the land, a place of blessing, a place of abundance, a place of community instead of loneliness, a place of healing. You know, I'm going to close with a story that was just told a week ago because it's one of the best, most recent examples I've heard. I've got a friend of mine, he's a pastor, his name is Brian. And uh, he was, is working, he's in a, a big city. God's just called him to do some really cool things. Every now and then I'm like, God, why don't you like me that much? But he, he's called to do some really cool things and work with some, some really famous people and really influential people. And, and uh, he was telling me the story of a particular CEO of a very large company and this guy's got a huge net worth, and what happened is the, the CEO was out of town doing a business deal worth hundreds of millions and found out that his aunt had died. And of course, what that means is that it was his mom's sister. His mom is alone in this city. No one is there. And this is someone she lived close to and was with all the time. And so as they aged together, they always had each other, and now the CEO's mom is alone for the rest of her life and alone in the city. And the CEO just calls, the, calls Brian and says, hey, um, can you pray for my mom? And that was all that was asked of him. Brian says, well, can I do something else? Can I, can I go see her? He's like, well, I, I guess so. So Brian rearranges his whole schedule for the day. Some, again, he's involved in some important stuff. So he's got, it was a big deal. And he, he gets flowers and he goes over to see this guy's mom. He's never seen the mom. And, and uh, the CEO is a, for the, this is funny, by the way, CEO is a non-believer. And it's always funny. I love when people who don't believe in God ask pastors to talk to God for them. And, um, and so he goes over. He doesn't just, you know, give flowers and say, hey, I'm praying for you. He spends three hours of his day with this woman. The CEO calls him a little bit later and says, what did you do? My mom was like, she felt hopeless, depressed, lonely. Like she just thought the rest of her life was gonna be miserable. She's smiling and she says she's filled with so much hope after talking to you. What did you do? Well, only a week later, the tables were turned because my friend Brian was out of town and his wife ended up in the hospital with a life-threatening kidney disease that she's, she's had problems her whole life and nobody's been able to diagnose. So this was truly life-threatening. And matter of fact, many of you actually prayed for her because we... we put it out there to do that and um, so Brian sent out a little text to the group just said hey pray for my wife the CEO picks up the phone immediately says what can I do where is she well she's at such and such hospital the CEO says that will not do that is the worst hospital in our city and doesn't know anything about what she is facing I'm personally going to leave my office right now did y'all catch that this, this, this guy does not have the ability to do that normally 
I'm, I'm going to leave my office right now. I'm going to that ER. I'm going to pick up your wife, put her in my car. I'm going to drive her to the best hospital in the city, who's, by the way, the director of that hospital is a friend of mine. I'm going to make sure that she, that director oversees all of her care, every doctor that touches her. See, that's what you call blessed in the land. When you put another person first, not to get anything, not to do anything, there was no, okay, I'll, I'll do this for you later if you do this for me now. No, this is simply saying, I'm going to put other people first. If I have to rearrange my schedule, no matter what I have to do, I'm going to put this woman first and go and bless her and pray for her. I've never met her in my life. I'm going to serve my friend. I'm going to do whatever I can. And, and then I, I'm just submitting to God. And then the blessings that begin to come. And I'm going to tell you, if you have not lived your life that way, give it a try. Because you'll be blown away with how God's favor comes upon your life, how God's blessing comes upon your life. Because as we submit to his way, sin leaves, the consequences of sin leaves. I mean, everything changes. The favor of people, things like that story just begin to happen because you have lived your life putting yourself at the end of the table. And the person beside you says, oh, no, 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 you, you need my seat. And God says, oh, no, 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 you need this blessing. And the next person says, oh, no, 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 you, I mean, I'm just telling you. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are so full of blessings and promises. And today we come before you to simply confess that we don't always do what we're supposed to to, to earn those. Honestly, we're always talking about what we deserve and, and it's, we probably don't deserve as good as we think we do. God, today we confess to you that we're not really good at putting others first. But we confess to you that we don't always do what your way says. We're not submitted. And God, we ask you, would, would you help us? Would you help us to do both of those? Would you help us to be humble enough to take the last seat? To say, God, whatever you think, I'm sure is better than what I think. What you say is better than what I want. And what another person needs is more important than what I think I need. God, help us represent you and your kingdom to this world. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, as we said, the, the meekest person ever was Jesus Christ because he put you first. If you've never made Jesus your king, he still put you first. He came, he died on the cross, he lived a perfect life so that his blood could pay for your sins instead of his own. And then he was raised by the power of the Father so that you too could be raised and have eternal life after death in this world. It's a free gift we call salvation, but every one of us at some point in time has to receive that gift. And, and if you've never done that, I hope that that for you is right here, right now, wherever you are. And I'm just, I'm gonna lead you in a simple conversation with God to make that exchange. If you would, say something like this to yourself and him. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me and so now I choose to live for you I thank you that you love me I thank you that I'm forgiven and my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom amen everybody help me celebrate with those people amen